Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, Volume 2, Chapter 17. Announcements, announcements, announcements. All right, so what I have to talk about today, there's that much brand new news, I don't think, for me. Um, but what I did want to talk about was rational creatures, which is something I've brought up a f- few times before on this podcast. It is a modern adaptation of Persuasion. It's out on YouTube, and they just put out the most or the last episode of the season this week when I'm recording it. Um, so the first week in December, I think that's where I am still. Who knows? Time has no meaning. Anyway, um, Rational Creatures is now finished and it's really good. And I highly recommend go on YouTube and watch it. And I will most likely do some sort of review of that next time because it was fabulous. And I'm very excited about it as a series Um, But I will get more into that next time. I highly, I just wanted to put out there that I highly recommend and everyone should go watch it. I, again, have nothing to do with it. Um, Don't know the makers, anything. I just am a fan and watch it on YouTube. So go watch that. Uh, The other thing I have been watching is the recap or rewatch of the Lizzie Bennet Diaries that the actress who played Lizzie Bennet is doing also on YouTube. Um, she's calling it the Rewatch Diaries, I think. And um, that is also really good if you liked the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, which I did. I love that show. It's a lot of fun to w- get some sort of, I don't know, behind the scenes information from Ashley Clements, who played Lizzie Bennet. And she's had most of the other actors on at this point, and a lot of the writers and producers and things on various episodes. Um, she's just literally going through and posting on the same date that all the original episodes came out, like a review of that episode. And it's really cool. And I would definitely recommend you go watch that as well. And I think that's it. So I will, I'm sure eventually be doing a Lizzie Bennett review myself. Um, but I, Don't plan to do that until after I'm done with the book Pride and Prejudice because it is one of those adaptations of Pride and Prejudice. But um, I do want to do the review of Rational Creatures because that is now out and I've already done the review of Persuasion. So I think that that would make sense to add. Um, So that is probably the podcast you will get next week instead of going back to Doctor Who or doing another episode of Pride and Prejudice. I really do want to review Rational Creatures. So That is my goal or what I think I'm going to be doing next. So that's the schedule. Also, it's the holidays. I'm about to go into, it's December now and we're going into Christmas season. So I haven't decided yet if I'm taking a week or off or not. Um, I might though. So if I miss a week, forgive me, please. Um, And if I do, we should probably be back in January. Anyway, that's enough stalling. I don't really have any other news. And now we will get into... Chapter 17. So, previously, on Pride and Prejudice, we have gotten to the point where Lizzie has picked up Jane from London on her way home from Kent, 
And then they meet Lizzie or Lizzie, Lydia and Kitty in at the inn on their way home. And they, I don't know, Lydia is just super obnoxious. She's 16. So that makes sense. She's a very, very obnoxious teenager coming home with them in the carriage. And the sisters have finally made it home to Longbourn. And that is where we ended last chapter. The focus of last chapter seemed to be Lydia being as obnoxiously teenager as is humanly possible to be. And then we get into the meat here of chapter 17. So here we go. Chapter 17 is going to be another recap of the letter and the situation with Darcy, which is pretty much the only thing we've been talking about since it happened. So just to get a bit of a time frame here, the proposal, Darcy's proposal happened in volume two back in chapter 11. And then we read about Darcy, we got Darcy's letter in chapter 12. We got her reaction to the letter in chapter 13. And then some, and then Elizabeth starts going home, but we're still talking about the letter. And so the proposal happened way back in chapter 11. We are now in chapter 17 and we are getting another recap of the letter. That's how important this letter is and how much time we are just spending in this novel rehashing the proposal in the letter over and over again. Because that's the only thing Lizzie can think about still. And I think that that is interesting because the book is still feeling like it's moving forward to me. This is probably my favorite book in the entire world. I've read it a million times. It still works and it's great. But when you're trying to knock it down or like really get into the details of what's happening, it's like, and then there's another chapter where she talks about the letter again. And I just think it's funny how it, it works. It's beautiful. And yet it's like rehashing some of these things over and over and over again, which is interesting. But this time we're introducing this topic to a new character. So now we're not just having Lizzie rehash it to herself, which is all that's happened so far, right? We've been in Lizzie's head. She's read the letter. She's thought about the letter. Um, but she hasn't confided in anyone about the letter because she hasn't really had anyone to confide in. Theoretically, I suppose she could have confided into Charlotte. But I think that that... She and Charlotte have a strong relationship but I don't think that she would feel comfortable confiding this sort of information in with Charlotte at this moment. And I think it was also very raw at the time. Um, but because of Charlotte's marriage and her connection now to Darcy's family and the whole situation, I don't feel like she would feel that Charlotte is a safe place to share this information. Um, and also because I don't think she quite trusts Charlotte not to share this with her husband. And she definitely doesn't trust Mr. Collins with this information by any means. So I think there are just and fair reasons why she can't really share this information with Charlotte. She's obviously not that close to Mariah, who's the other one around. She's not going to tell Lady Catherine about it. Um, and then we got they got to London. She could have confided into her aunt, and I think she would have if they had more time or if they had time alone. Because she even said she didn't confide in Jane there because there just wasn't the time and privacy over their quick trip in London. So she doesn't even talk to Jane about it until they're back at Longbourn. And so Jane, now that they're back at Longbourn and have some time and privacy, <clears throat> I don't know if it says for sure, but I always imagine that they share a bedroom. I think they do in the 95 and, and the 2005 version. Um, but that in my head, they are sharing a bedroom. So they're talking about this again. I don't think that they're, it explains exactly where they're talking. They might be out taking a walk in the countryside, 
But I envision this happening at night in their bedroom because they share a bed. Or a bedroom. <laughs> they might share a bed too. Whatever. Um, not in a sexual way of any kind. Just like, you know. Anyway. Um, so I, that's how I envision the scene happening. But I don't think we really get a place for where this scene is happening. So envision it how you'd like. But either way, they are back at Longbourn. They have time and privacy. And so we're actually going to start the chapter now. Elizabeth's going to tell Jane about this situation. So it starts with Elizabeth's impatience to acquaint Jane with what had happened could no longer be overcome. And at length, resolving to suppress every particular in which her sister was concerned and preparing her to be surprised, she related to her the next morning the chief of the scene between Mr. Darcy and herself. Okay, so I'm already wrong. It's not happening late at night, which is, I think, what happens in the 95 version, which is probably why it's in my head. It's happening in the morning. So maybe they are out walking. I don't know where they are in the morning. They could still be in their bedroom in the morning talking about this but it's happening in the morning but i think the morning also means kind of all day but not the evening so there you go anyway she's telling her about this and jane is shocked but i do think this there's the interesting line of there that she's she's decided to suppress every particular in which her sister was concerned so she's explaining that what darcy said about the proposal and all everything that happened there i assume but she's not telling Jane everything that she found out in the letter. So, and she's probably not telling Jane what happened the night before with her accusing him, like what she found out from Colonel Fitzwilliam and accusing him of breaking up Bingley and Jane. So that part of their argument has been hidden. And his, that part of the letter then was hidden because she didn't talk about her talking about it. And they didn't, she didn't talk about Darcy replying about it. So she's hiding we're not talking about all the Bingley stuff and she's only talking about the general proposal, how he was rude about her family, and then the Wickham stuff, keeping the Bingley stuff out of it. Um, and Bennett and Miss Bennett, or J meaning Jane, is astonished. Um, and the only thing that makes her less astonished is how she has such partiality for Elizabeth and finds that uh, anyone, you know, liking her wouldn't be astonishing. Um, and it's very Jane. He's saying that, you know, him being so secure or sure of succeeding was wrong and certainly ought not to have appeared. But consider how much it must increase his disappointment. So she feels bad for Darcy. Um and Elizabeth kind of replies back in a very joking way, saying that I do feel sorry for him, but, but you don't blame me for saying or for refusing him. And Jane says, oh, no, I don't blame you. So she said, but what about talking so warmly about Wickham? And Jane's like, well, I don't think you were wrong, wrong about that. And that's when Elizabeth has to explain the Wickham situation, saying that you will know it. And that's when she talks about the whole Wickham thing and... Again, a very Jane thing happens. It says, what a stroke that was this for poor Jane, who would willingly have gone through the world without believing that so much wickedness existed in the whole race of mankind, as was here collected in one individual. Nor was Darcy's vindication, though grateful to her feelings, capable of consoling her for such discovery. Most earnestly did she labor to prove the probability of error and seek to clear one without involving the other. So... Jane is horrified by this because there's nothing really explainable. So she's 
shocked by the proposal from Darcy just because it's shocking in general. But it doesn't really change anything for her. Like, it's not world shattering. The Wickham thing is kind of world shattering, right? Like, she doesn't know what to do with that. That is scary information. And it tells her, you know, for Wickham to be so wicked. And Wickham is very wicked. Um, wicked Wickham. Um, that Wickham would, you know, there's the kind of general just licentiousness of his life. But the really big thing is that he tried to elope, aka kidnap and seduce a 16-year-old girl. So that's pretty bad. Um, or was she 15? She was young. Um, and so she's trying to make both of them good men. You know, she's trying to somehow see that there was some sort of mistake and neither of them are really such horrible people because that's how Jane deals with the world. Nobody can really be all that bad. And Elizabeth comes back that you'll never be able to make both of them good for anything. Take your choice, but you must be satisfied with one, with only one. So she's come back with like, you can believe one of their stories or the other story, but both of their stories make the other out to be pretty much of a villain. Right. So Wickham's story is that Darcy stole his inheritance from him and, you know, put him in a life of poverty. And Darcy's story is that Wickham tried to seduce his 15 year old sister. So both stories make the other look pretty darn bad. And if we're believing that one of their stories has to be true, like either Darcy stole Wickham's inheritance for absolutely no reason, or Wickham tried to, you know, seduce a 15 year old girl for, to steal her money. Um, that one of those things at least happened. I guess, I suppose theoretically both of them could have happened. It could be a yes. And sort of situation that they're both horrible people. That is possible. Um, but we're going with the idea that one of them is telling the truth and one of them is lying. And, you know, Elizabeth at this point is pretty sure that Darcy is the one telling the truth. His story makes more sense. Um, which means that Wickham is the wicked one. So it's just a nice thing. To, it's an interesting line there that there's only enough goodness for one of them. And... Although, of course, that's not what the book says. I think there's only enough goodness for one of them is actually from the 95 version. I get those things confused sometimes because I've watched that version so many times. And it's so close to the book that sometimes there's a line in the movie that I'm sure must be in the book. Um, but it just says you will in the book. It just says you never will be able to make both of them good for anything. <sighs> anyway. Lizzie believes that it's Darcy the good one, is the good one. But it says the chain may do, you shall do as you choose. But, and it says that Lizzie was trying to, it says it was some time, however, before a smile could be extorted from Jane. So Lizzie's trying to make Jane smile with that. Um, but they go on with Jane just being completely shocked that Wickham could be so bad and that Darcy could have suffered so much. And it then goes back to his disappointment with Lizzie and, you know, just being so upset about the whole thing and Lizzie basically comes back with well you're upset enough for the both of us so 
I'll just leave that on you, and if you lament over him much longer, my heart will be light as a feather. And then she goes over to being feeling sorry for Wickham, saying, poor Wickham, there's such an expression of goodness in his countenance, such an openness and gentleness in his manner. And here's another interesting line from Lizzie, saying, there certainly was some great mismanagement in the education of those two young men. One has got all the goodness, and the other all the appearance of it. Um, to which Jane kind of guess shows her mettle a little bit by saying, well, I never thought Mr. Darcy was so deficient in the appearance of it as you used to do. So saying that, you know, she, Jane, was not as fooled as Lizzie was. Which is a nice little stinger there, again, for, for Jane. Good for her. And Lizzie acknowledges it and basically and says and yet i meant to be uncommonly clever in taking so decided a dislike to him without any reason it is such a spur to one's genius such an opening for wit to have a dislike of that kind one may be continually abusive without saying anything just but one cannot be always laughing at a man without now and then stumbling on something witty which so true <laughs> it's such a good line but i think it's the idea that if you're constantly laughing and joking about somebody, eventually you're going to say something funny, right? And also, if you have somebody who's like, you don't care if you're hurting their feelings, you can be kind of sharper and not worry about that, you know, hurting them, right? Um, but also, so that can go two ways. Either A, you don't care about them, the other person, you're able to be, go harder, um, which is, I think, what Lizzie's implying here. But I also think that there's a sort of other reading of it where if somebody's good at being laughed at, good at being the butt of the joke, you can also go a little harder and not have to worry that they're going to take everything you say seriously and, like, internalize it and be upset. Because I can be a very sarcastic person and the people who are close to me, a lot of them know that I will say things that out of context could be, I mean, be, see, seem sort of sarcastic or mean, um, but I am just sort of joking through things and saying things that I think are funny, even if I don't, like, fully mean them. And I have offended people with that before. I have to be careful with when I can use that kind of humor. And you do have to, like, know somebody and feel comfortable with them before you're able to kind of go in that direction. And I think it does say something about Darcy that he was able to sort of take it. Or maybe this might be only me because I am the kind of person who does this and says these sorts of things. But I enjoy being around people who can take a joke and who like are trusting enough to be able to kind of go back and forth with those sort of friendly insults. I don't know if this is making any sort of sense. But it's kind of a sibling thing where you can like, you know, like... I can call my sibling ugly, but nobody else can. You know, like, I can be mean to them, but nobody else can. Sort of situation where, like, if you're in a having a good relationship with somebody and you're able to joke about things, and, you know, in a way that you both find amusing, I think that's fun. And I, I think that it's interesting, and tells us maybe a little more about Darcy, that he was able to sort of take the joke from Lizzie, and she thought she was being cutting and mean, but he thought that she was sort of being joking and funny and trusting him to take a joke. I don't know. I just, that's where my mind goes with that line. 
Then Jane comes back to Lizzie and just says that, you know, you must have been more upset when you first read the letter. And Elizabeth acknowledges it, says that she made her uncomfortable, unhappy, and she had nobody to confide in because Jane wasn't there. And so she really wanted her Jane. Um, and then we get to an interesting point. So, so far, Lizzie has just been relating all of this and they've been kind of talking back and forth. Now we get to the part where Lizzie actually wants an opinion. So it says, there is one point on which I want your advice. This is Lizzie talking to Jane. I want to be told whether I ought or ought not to make our acquaintance in the general understand Wickham's character. And Miss Bennet, meaning Jane, thinks about it for a minute and says, surely there can be no occasion for exposing him so dreadfully. What is your own opinion? And Elizabeth sort of agrees, saying that it ought not to be attempted. And goes on to say that, you know, she, Mr. Darcy doesn't, you know, hasn't told me to make this public and especially the stuff about his sister. I, he was very much clear that he wants that kept private. Um, and even if I try to do this, who's going to believe me? Everybody's so prejudiced against Mr. Darcy anyway. Um, I'm not equal to it. And Wickham's leaving soon anyway. He's not going to be our problem anymore, so it's fine. Um, that part will, you know, a little bit of foreshadowing there. Because yes, he's leaving, but it's still going to be their problem. So I think this is interesting because it, it, it throws sort of a very modern light on things. In that I feel like people are still having this conversation of whether to out somebody. So, you know, there's the money side with Wickham that we talked about, that talked about, Darcy talked about in the letter. But there's also the part that he's like preying on a teenage girl who even at the standards of the time, you know, even in, in modern America, 16 year old girls can get married um, to adult men. That is legal in a lot of states in America where I live, which is fun to think about. Not really. Um, but, and in, you know, that time in England, 16 year old girls could get married. That was possible, but I want to make it clear that that wasn't common. Um, it was, it would be rare for a girl that young to get married. And I call her a girl, not a woman, woman, very specifically. <laughs> um, and so it is technically legal, but uncommon. And especially without the girl's family consent and stuff would have been strange. And even if a very young girl like that who was 16 was getting married, it was more common that she would then be getting married to a, a young boy close to her age, 17 or 18 probably, if she was 16. So her getting married to a 30-something-year-old man at that age would have been weird, even at the time. So... My understanding of it is that it's not something that, like, people try to push off as though, oh, it was a different time. It happened all the, you know, there, I think there were more age gap relationships with a much older man, but the girl or woman would still not be 16, right? She would still be slightly older than that, getting married. And I mean, even in, like, Sense and Sensibility, I'm thinking Marianne marries a much older man in Colonel Brandon. But she doesn't marry him when she's 16. She does wait until she's, I think, 18. Which doesn't seem all the... I mean, not that much older, but still. It's different. It is different, I think. Those extra couple years. So anyway, we're talking about Wickham as being sort of the sexual predator. 
But we can't talk about that part with the general public. So the only thing they would be able to disclose would be the money situation. Um, and it's that same old kind of story of can we talk about this and should we talk about this? Should we expose somebody? And it just feels so very real and modern and people are still talking about it. I'm thinking of, like of the Me Too movement and the Harvey Weinstein stuff of like, should we expose this man? Like, what is the morality of exposing somebody of, for having done these sorts of things? And like, what is the cost benefit analysis to yourself and, and the girl or woman who was hurt? to expose this information like will this hurt the victim even more and not hurt the guy um so it just feels like such a real and modern conversation that jane and lizzie are having way back when and they come to the answer that i think was the standard answer and probably was the correct answer of the time that they wouldn't i think lizzie's correct that she probably wouldn't have been able to change anybody's mind she doesn't have enough proof or evidence unless Darcy was kind of come back to town and like actually talk about it. I don't think Lizzie had a shot in explaining all of this to the town in general. Um, but I think it brings into question, like, should she have told some of this to her own family, which is, she will lament that later on after what happens to Lydia happens to Lydia, that maybe she should have at least told her own family some things. But on the other hand, could she trust telling Lydia any of this information and Lydia not running off and telling the whole town? I don't think she could. So I, she's in a really hard place. They are in a really hard place. And it's a very similar conversation that's been going on in modern times now that they are having then. And I think that's a really interesting connection that this still the same damn thing. <laughs> but they decide not to try to expose Wickham's problems. And I think they're very correct that they should not talk about the Georgiana situation. A, because Darcy very specifically asked Elizabeth not to. But, and, but B, because anything like that coming out is going to hurt Georgiana more than it hurts Wickham. Um, yeah, that could ruin her. And it's very important that in that time frame that you keep, or time period, you keep that stuff away from her. So I agree with them on that. That's not something they can talk about. Um, and the money stuff, I don't think she has enough proof, right? Like, cause she can't explain how she knows it. Um, except for that Darcy told her, but why would Darcy tell her? And she can't talk about the letter because it would be really improper if Darcy wrote her a letter. That's not allowed. When was she and Darcy having a private conversation? That's also not allowed. So there's no real way for Lizzie to bring this up in a way that makes any sort of sense. Unless she's able to, like, I think the only way it could have even maybe worked is if she was able to, you know, confide in her father and get her father to be the one to tell people. But even that, her, I don't think she has any faith or reason to have faith in her father that he'd be able to do that or would want to and wouldn't just laugh about it. I think there's every possibility that if even if Lizzie came to him and let her and let him read the letter and he believed everything the letter said that he would just laugh it off and move on with his life and not talk to anybody about it and not try to protect anyone from it. So I don't know that she had many options open to her and that's very sad. But the point in the story is that they decide not to disclose any of this information. And Jane has a very Jane moment where she says, Oh yes. And you know, he might be sorry now for what he's done and anxious to reestablish his character. We must not make him desperate. 
which, oh, Jane, bless. So Elizabeth feels better after having this conversation. She's able to get some of her secrets off of her chest and now can talk to Jane about it. But of course, the one thing she did not tell Jane was as it, as what happened with Bingley. And the reason is that I get, I think she's right that it would just hurt Jane more because Jane's still depressed about it, still sad. And if she finds out that Bingley actually really did love her, but was talked out of doing any, like moving forward with her because he didn't believe that she loved him. I think that could break Jane. And especially in a situation like this where there's nothing that Jane can do. She can't go, she can't call on him. She can't write him a letter. She doesn't have a phone. She can't call him. Like there's nothing that Jane can do further than what she's already done. Meaning she followed him to London. She called on his sister. She's written letters to his sister. That's as much as she really feasibly can do without hurting her own reputation. So what else is there for Jane? Like Elizabeth just rubbing salt in the wound that, oh yeah, he did love you, but haha, you can never marry him. That's not helping anybody. So I think Elizabeth is correct to sort of give up on that and not tell Jane about that situation. And it says that the liberty of communication cannot be mine, meaning Elizabeth's, till it has lost all its value. Meaning, and it's from the end of that paragraph of saying that really the only time she was would be able to tell Jane any of this information is after Bingley came back and renewed his addresses, at which time Bingley is the one who would tell her about this and do it better. And so there's no reason for Elizabeth ever to tell Jane this. Either Jane will find out from Bingley or not at all. And then we find out some time of Elizabeth watching Jane, seeing that Jane's still not happy and how she still is very attached to Bingley. And she's trying to put on a good show and, you know, take care of herself for her family's sake. But she is still very depressed about the whole situation. Just sad. And then we get some time with Mrs. Bennett again, which Mrs. Bennett always great to liven the mood, bring in some comedy. And she says, well, busy said Mrs. Bennett one day, what is your opinion now of the sad business of Jane's? For my part, I am determined never to speak of it again to anybody. I told my sister Philip so the other day, but I cannot find out that Jane saw anything of him in London. Well, he is a very undeserving young man, and I do not suppose there is the least chance in the world of her ever getting him now. There is no talk of his coming to Netherfield again in the summer, and I have inquired of everybody, too, who is likely to know. Which, oh my goodness, Mrs. Bennet, you just contradicted yourself like ten times. That's probably an exaggeration, but a lot. Because she says, so what do you think about this situation with Jane and Bingley? I'm never going to talk about it again, but let's talk about it right now. And I just talked about it with my sister, and I told her the same thing, that I was never going to talk about it again, but I'm talking to you about it again now. Oh, and by the way, I've talked about it to everyone who might know whether Bingley's ever coming back or not. So basically the whole town. Um, and they all agree with me that he's never coming back. <laughs> just like, I will never talk about it again, but I'm going to talk about it to everyone. And I'm going to tell everyone about how I'm never going to talk about it again. Mrs. Bennett is being very true to herself and her character here. And then she's pretending like she doesn't care whether he comes back or doesn't want him to come back. Though she, and she says, though I shall always say that he used my daughter extremely ill, and if I was her, I would not put up with it. 
which is also, well, what would you have done, Mrs. Bennet? I mean, come on. What would you have done that Jane didn't do? What do you think Jane should have done differently? And then she says, well, my comfort is I'm sure Jane will die of a broken heart, and then he will be sorry for what he has done. Which, melodramatic much? I mean, honestly. <laughs> um, but I like the line after that. It says, but Elizabeth, as Elizabeth could not receive comfort from any such expectation, she made no answer. So Elizabeth couldn't take comfort from the thought that maybe Jane will die of a broken heart. So, all right then. So then Mrs. Bennett changes the subject to talk about the Collinses and how they're very comfortable. And, you know, saying that Charlotte is probably an excellent manager and she's saving a lot of money, which I think is a dig, basically, that she's not living as fancily and as highfalutinly as the... Uh, Bennett's do. She says, there's nothing extravagant in their housekeeping, I dare say. And Elizabeth said, nope, not extravagant. Um, which I think is Lizzie, she's giving very short little answers and trying to not engage with her mother in conversation. And then she goes, Mrs. Bennett goes on with, a great deal of good management depend upon it. Yes, yes, they will take care not to outrun their income. They will never be distressed for money. Well, much good may it do them. And so I suppose they often talk of having long born when your father is dead. They look upon it as quite their own, I dare say, whenever it happens. So she's just going on and on. I think it's interesting that they won't outrun their income. They will never be distressed for money. I feel like that is her sort of being mad at Mr. Bennett for telling her to stop spending so much money. Or it doesn't seem like he actually does, but maybe he pokes fun at her for how much money she spends or something. Um, but And Elizabeth comes back, well, they're not talking about how they're going to inherit the house I currently live in when my dad dies. They're not talking to me about that. And Mrs. Bennett, you know suddenly agrees completely and says, oh, you know, that would be strange if they had, but make no doubt they often talk about it between themselves. So, of course, they're all just, the Collinses are both just sitting around, twiddling their thumbs, hoping that Mr. Bennett dies. I don't believe that to be true. Mr. Collins is not the best man in the world, but I don't think he's evil. We've talked about this before a little bit. He's, And I don't think that there's any sort of plot or pining and Mr. Collins hoping that he's going to get that estate sooner or that Mr. Bennett will die quickly. And then she ends with another little zinger of fun hilarity that Mrs. Bennett doesn't realize how funny she is says, well, if they can be easy with an estate that is not lawfully their own, so much the better. I should be ashamed of having one that was only entailed on me, which lawfully that's, Inheriting an estate through an entail is lawful by definition because that's legally inheriting the estate. Like, what are you talking about? And most likely, if the estate is entailed, it was entailed on the current Mr. Bennett as well. Like, he had to inherit it through an entail. That's how that worked. What are you talking about? Um, it's just, again, she doesn't understand how entails work, and I'm sure I don't either, but I understand it more than Mrs. Bennett does. Um... And we're just kind of poking fun at Mrs. Bennet and reminding... We haven't had any time with Mrs. Bennet in a while because Elizabeth's been away. So last chapter we got a reminder of how annoying Lydia is. And this chapter we got another reminder of how annoying slash funny Mrs. Bennet is. So it's sort of a little reacquaintance to 
the Bennett family. We got a nice big go-on conversation with Jane where we recapped the letter. And then we got a little, little conversation with Mama Bennett. Very fun. And we are getting very close to the end of Volume 2 here. So this was Chapter 16. And then there is... Or this was Chapter 17? Where am I even? Yeah, this was Chapter 17. Sorry. So next time is Chapter 18. And then there's Chapter 19. And that is the end of Volume 2. So we only have two chapters left in this volume. And then we're moving on to chap to Volume 3. So we're getting very close. We're over halfway done with this novel now. I'm having a lot of fun. So next time is where Lydia is going to go to Brighton. And after that, as soon as Lydia's gone, essentially, Lizzie is going to go to the north. So we're getting very close to going to Pemberley, which is a very exciting part of this book. And we're going to see Darcy again. And there's all sorts of things happening. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm very excited. The volume three is, there's a lot of good stuff happening in volume three. I'm very excited about it. So that is the end of volume or volume chapter. I can't talk tonight. That is the end of chapter 17. Um, next time we talk about Pride and Prejudice, we'll be back with 18, which is when we get the drama of Lydia and her winning her trip of a lifetime to Brighton to go off and ruin the family. Good for her. We'll talk about it more next time. See you then.